Well, welcome home. Glad to have each of you in the house today. You know, the church, particularly this thing called Grace Church, was designed by God to be a family, an extended faith family, a place to find acceptance, a place to be loved, a place to be encouraged, a place to understand better who God is and how to live a life to know Him, to love Him, and to serve Him. Welcome home. I'm so glad that you're with us today. We're doing a kind of a special series right now built around this idea of God's intent for the church. You know, the church has become many things today. We're, we're all over the place doing all sorts of things. But one of the primary things that the church is always meant to be is a family. A family. And so to help renew our understanding of why God even started this thing called the church, we're looking at the scriptures together today and over the next few weeks from Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to join me today in Acts chapter 2. If you didn't bring your Bible, I want to encourage you to reach under the chair in front of you. That black book under the chair in front of you is one of our pew Bibles or our seat Bibles or our worship Bibles, whatever you want to call them. They're a Bible, by the way. And, and in there, I want to invite you to join me today in Acts chapter 2. Uh, and for those of you who are challenged to find that, it's 911. Okay, it's page 911, which I think is just this hilarious coincidence, kind of the cute little providence of God, you know. So what do you do when you get an emergency? Oh my gosh, dial 911. What do you do when you get a real emergency in life? Oh, turn to 911 and you'll discover the church is given by God for the purpose of meeting people's needs to help them live this thing called life together. So we're going to be looking at this thing called the church and we're going to be looking at something called real community. So today, uh, the reason I've asked you all to grab a Bible is I'd like to do some responsive reading. We're only going to look at like 10 verses. We're going to read 10 verses. We'll look at 10 verses together today. But um, what I'd like to do is, is in Acts chapter 2, in verse 38, and I'm using the ESV, and those black Bibles are ESV, so it just makes it easier for reading's sake. Uh, I'm going to read verse 38, and then responsively, I want to invite you to read verse 39. I will read verse 40, and you will read verse... Oh, good. Okay. So long as we're on the same plane, I just want to make sure we're connecting here. All right, here we go. So I'm going to begin in verse 38, and we're going to read through verse 47 together. Here we go. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, the beginning of this thing called the church. And Peter, the apostle Peter, said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins... And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And with many other words, he, Peter, bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save or rescue yourselves from this crooked generation. Ooh, 
that's a big family. Verse 42. And these people, these 3,000, devoted themselves now to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Yeah, and all who believed were together. Beautiful. And they had all things in common. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together, and then we're going to start looking into this beautiful portion of Scripture. Well, Father, uh, thank you uh, for this thing called the church, and thank you for its beginning. It was of you. Uh, It is something that you planned, something that you brought into existence, and it's something that you desire uh, that we be uh, before you. And so, Lord, I just pray that as Grace Church, as we examine these verses of the original church, that you would help us to learn much so that we would get back to the purpose for which you made us. In Jesus' name, and the people of God said, amen, amen. Amen. So, Acts chapter 2 is what we would call the beginning of this thing called the church. On the day of Pentecost, a Jewish feast day, the apostle Peter stood before a crowd of about 300,000 pilgrims from all around the Mediterranean world, and he proclaimed a particular message, and those people responded, and about 3,000, or about 1% of the people in Jerusalem in that day began this thing called the church. Now, you know, a lot of people today, if they plant churches or start churches uh, in new communities, their goal is always to have this kind of church, this church. The only problem with this as your goal, as to have a church just like this, is, number one, you cannot replicate what happened. This was an absolutely unique occurrence. You, You just simply cannot make it happen again. And the second thing is, they didn't just have community, they actually had a commune. They, I mean, they sold everything, they all lived together, they were all doing, you know, that's not necessarily a preferable way of living life today, would you agree? So we can't replicate it, and quite frankly, we probably don't want to replicate it. However, that doesn't mean that there aren't some very important truths here that we can draw from to become the best church we can be. And so the title, Real, R-E-A-L, Community, picks up on the principles that we're going to be looking at today and over the next three weeks together from Acts chapter 2. Today, we're going to focus in on this idea of being a redeemed community, as they were, And then we're going to look at being an exciting community. They had the apostles' doctrine and the apostles working signs and wonders, and people were filled with awe. And then we're going to talk about having an authentic community. They sold their goods and they distributed them to people as they had need. And then lastly, we're going to look at being a loving community. They were doing things day by day together, and ultimately their love was so infectious that God was adding to the church daily those who were being saved. So we're going to consider these principles in light of who we are at Grace Church in hopes that we will be a more real community 
of God's people. So today, we're going to focus in on the R in real, and that is a redeemed community. Now, we read that just a moment ago, but let me put them up here again. And, and we're going to actually try to understand how does one become part of the church? You see, a lot of people attend church, and there's nothing wrong with that. My gosh, we, we encourage everyone and anyone to come here, to sit here, to praise God here, to hear his word, to, to understand what's going on. We want everyone to attend. But there's a difference between attending the church and being the church. There's a difference between coming and sitting in a seat and, and being a living, breathing child of the living God. Uh, the, the way somebody put it years ago was this. Um, being in a church makes you no more of a Christian than standing in your garage makes you a car. Does that make sense? So just showing up and sitting on the premises doesn't make you a Christian. And it doesn't necessarily make you part of the faith family. It means you're in the midst. But God wants more than that for you. He wants you to be a child of God with brothers and sisters in the blood of Christ. How does that happen? Well, that's what Peter says today. To those 300,000 pilgrims gathered, he made this statement. Peter said to them, you must repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In verse 39, I love this. For the promise is for you, those people that day in, in, in Jerusalem. And it's for your children. It, it refers to those who will be descended from them. And for all those who are far off. We're far off. We are far off in time 2,000 years later. We're far off in geography. That happened in Jerusalem. And here we are in southern Maryland. But it's for all people. Everyone whom the Lord your God is calling to himself. And with many other words, uh, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, listen, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word and were, were then baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls to the beginning of this thing called the church. So how is it that somebody becomes part of this thing called the church, becomes a living, breathing child of the living God doesn't just attend, but literally becomes God's people. Well, he says here, it involves something called repentance. Now, before we get to what that means, we need to go back a little bit into the story. You see, prior to this, this exclamation that Peter kind of punctuated his message with, encouraging people to come into relationship with God through Jesus, he did something prior to this. So in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 37, the apostle Peter does something called, he shares with them this thing called the gospel. The gospel. And it's off the explanation of the gospel that he makes this, this earnest request that you now repent in order that you would know the forgiveness of your sins. So in the next few minutes, I, I want to try and help you to understand and appreciate and, and fully um, encourage. All right, we've got, the, there we go. Nope, wrong one. All right. Just make it black. Thank you. 
We're good. We're good. What I'm going to do is I'm going to resort to some old technology. Yes. I think I still remember how to use one of these. It's been a long, long time. But what I'd like to do in the next few moments with you is to explain to you this thing called the gospel. The gospel. Now you say, oh, you know, I know that frontwards and backwards and through and through, and all I can say is hallelujah for you. Uh, but we're going to under- understand it, hopefully, and appreciate it in a brand new way even today. So we're going to look at something called the gospel. Now the word gospel literally means good news. Excellent proclamation. Incredible announcement. It's the best thing that that has ever happened, if you get it and understand it. It is so dynamic, so wonderful, so incredible, that if you really get it, you get it. And boy, is it amazing. So, we are going to consider this thing called the gospel together. Now, the gospel is the message that God does for us that which we cannot do for ourselves. That God does for us that which we cannot do for ourselves. And that is to bring us into relationship with him. Religion is man's best attempt to win the favor of God. The gospel is God taking the initiative and bringing us to himself. Radically different messages. Radically different messages. So, if we're to appreciate and understand the gospel... Uh, We can do that with three basic images, three basic images around which the life of Jesus Christ flows. Uh, We begin, first of all, with what I would call the crib. The crib. It's ugly, I know, it's a crib. Uh, And then there is this thing called the cross. And then there is this thing called the crown. So there you go. The crib, the cross, the crown. All of this displays for us Jesus. What he did for us so that we can know the Father. So, following along this line, what we need to do is begin at the beginning. And all of this, all of this is something that is brought to bear by none other than God himself. All of this comes from the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So this is all of God. All of God. None of us. If you get nothing else this morning, get that. Your salvation does not depend on you. There's nothing you could ever do, good or bad, that could either prevent you from or win you the favor of God. Because it doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on me. It depends on God. So, God the Father thought it in eternity past. God the Son brought it through his life, death, and and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit of God wrought it in our hearts. So, my prayer through our time this morning is that this spiritual message will be hit home to your hearts by the Holy Spirit because you don't have the capacity to understand this on your own. So, here we go. God the Father, out of love, deep, deep love for you, sent his son, his only son, Jesus Christ, into this world for you. It says this, 
The second person of the Trinity, Jesus, was put into the womb of the Virgin Mary, and he was born absolutely sinless. So God's Son entered into the world for us. Uh, Paul put it this way in Galatians 4. He said, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters, and if a child, then heir through God. So God sent his son Jesus to earth, God himself in the flesh, and he was born absolutely sinless. And Jesus went on to live and prove that absolutely sinless life as he lived and walked on this earth. One of my favorite little um, uh, statements that, that, that's, that explains how beautifully the Holy Spirit poured his message through individual writers of Scripture You know, the Holy Spirit was able to do that without confounding each individual writer's personality, but actually use their personality to record exactly what he wanted us to have in the Scriptures. One of those is how the writers of Scripture speak of the sinless nature of Jesus Christ. So, as we look and we understand, the Apostle Paul, a man of intense intellect, a very, very incredibly brilliant man, said of Jesus Christ, he knew no sin. See, from Paul's perspective, as he looked at the life of Christ, he expressed that Jesus Christ didn't know any sin. So, Peter, man of action, the guy who had a foot-shaped mouth. You know that guy? The guy that was always just getting, you know, getting his foot stuck in his mouth. The guy who was always doing stuff and then realized later that probably wasn't a good idea. So, Peter, the man of action, said of Jesus, he did no sin. Wow, that's cool. The Holy Spirit poured that truth through him, and he recorded it from his own personality because he was a man of action. And then over here we have John, John the lover. And he said of Jesus, in him was no sin. So we see from each of the individual writers through their individual personalities, they said exactly the same thing. That Jesus Christ went on to live an absolutely perfect life. Absolutely sinless existence. But much more than that, much more than a sinless nature, Jesus Christ lived in complete obedience to the Father. He went on to do perfectly righteous things in uh, in light of the Father. So Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father, allowed himself to be directed by the Holy Spirit, and he lived in complete and utter righteousness with his life. So he wasn't just sinless, he was completely righteous. Now that's important. Because what Jesus does with his life is what we didn't do in our lives. He lived the life you and I are meant to live, perfect obedience to God the Father. But we all failed. So Jesus lived that life for us. Whoa. Okay, so we're getting it. God loves us. And in that love, God sends his only son, the second person of the Trinity himself. He lives a perfect sinless life, a perfectly righteous life. And then the Bible says he ends up going to the cross. And there on the cross, the sinless, perfect son of God died. Why? You see, the cradle shows us God's love for us by sending his son for us. But the cross shows us God's love for us by sacrificing his own son's life for us. It says this in Isaiah 53. Surely he, Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. 
Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Now, he was perfectly sinless. Why would that happen? Because he was being pierced for our transgressions. He was being crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, God the Father laid the chastisement that would bring us peace. And it is with his wounds that we will be healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord God laid on him the iniquity of us all. And in verse 10 of Isaiah 53, it said, It was pleased the Father to crush his son. Why? Because you're a sinner. Because you're a sinner. Because you're a sinner. And there is no way for a sinner to be in a right standing with God without having that sin dealt with in righteousness. And the righteous payment for our sin is death. Somebody had to die. And God sent his son, his only son, to die for you. <laughs> And that's not the end of the story. Hallelujah. Not only did Jesus Christ die, but he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and he ascended to the right hand of God the Father where today Jesus Christ is clearly the Lord of all. This brings us to the crown. And it says this in Philippians chapter 2. He, Jesus, humbled himself coming down into earth, becoming humanity, and became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Today, Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God the Father, and he ever lives to make intercession for his people, and he is pouring out his spirit, and he is giving his grace to those who are his and then ultimately, there is the promise that Jesus Christ is going to return and ultimately live forever in the midst of his people. Forever. This is the gospel. It is the whole gospel for the whole person. But I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. Let me, let me make it clear again how all this seems to play out. Because it's not just the whole gospel for the whole person. It is, in effect, for all time. So here we have God the Son coming to earth, living the perfectly sinless life, dying on the cross for our sins. So when, in the words of Peter, we repent and come to Jesus... When we repent and come to Jesus, we receive the forgiveness of sins because he died for our sins, but we also receive his perfect righteousness. So we don't have a neutral standing before God the Father. We have a positive standing of being his son, in his son, loved as his son. And this is Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ dealing with the penalty of our sin. But that's not all that he does. Presently, he is overcoming the power of sin. And ultimately, he's going to deliver us from the very presence of sin. So this is the gospel. 
It's the gospel. It's the good news. He died to deal with our sin's penalty. He lives to break sin's power, and he's going to deliver us from sin's presence. All of that is given as a gift to those who come to him. It's a gift. It doesn't depend on you. It never has. It never will. Because if it does, we'll screw it up. You see, it's all of God, it's all of grace, and it's all for his glory. If we get that, you're beginning to grasp this thing called the gospel. So, dear ones, good news. Good news. And it is for those people who what? Repent. Isn't that what Peter said? Look at at verse uh, 38. It said, And Peter said to these people, after proclaiming the good news of the gospel to them, that Jesus Christ has done all this on their behalf, he is telling them, now your response needs to be, you are to be, you are to repent and what? Every one of you in the name of Jesus, what? For? That's it. So let me see if I got this right, Pastor Bill. So we're to do this thing called repentance, whatever that means, and then we've got to be baptized. And if we repent and be baptized, then, then we'll get it, right? No. Wrong. That's not what he's saying at all. But that's what it says, but that's not what it means. Let me explain. Let me explain. All of this is wound up in that word, repent. That is a pregnant word. It is full. I mean, it is, it is a big idea. And, and you know, it was very common in the Bible to use this word. John the Baptist, the first words out of his mouth as he began his earthly ministry was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Oh, Jesus Christ, the very first words out of his mouth as he began his earthly ministry was this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, repent. Everybody said repent. Here Peter says in Acts chapter 2, repent. And Paul says in Acts chapter 17 that God commands all men everywhere to repent. When was the last time you heard a message on Repentance. We don't talk about that anymore, do we? And yet it is central to the message of the gospel. So, having said all that, what is repent? What does it mean? Well, the word itself is helpful in understanding it. The word itself literally means change your mind. That's what the word literally means in the original language. To repent means to change your mind. Repentance is the flip side of faith. Think of a coin. I think I got one here. Yes, I do. A big old coin. A singular coin has two sides, a front and a back. Well, if you will, repentance is one side of the coin and faith is the other side of the coin. Repentance and faith are twin things that come together. So let me see if I can explain what Peter is saying and how it plays out. So what he's basically saying is this to the people of that day. You have all come here with a predetermined understanding of what you think it means to to know God, to honor God, and to please God. Now he was speaking to the Jews of that day, 300,000 of them, and for them that meant keeping the law. We're good religious people. We're very righteous people. We keep the law. We tithe on this. We do that. We do this. And so he's saying, okay, you came here as good religious people. And you're all thinking you're doing well and all this. And yet, what did he say? What did he say? Repent. Well, wait a minute. I thought this was right. No, 
This isn't right. You see, this is right. It's all of God. It's all of grace. Not by works of righteousness which you have done, but according to his mercy he saves you. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any of us boast. So they all came there in their self-righteousness. Hey, we're, we're good religious, moral people. We're really great people. And then he says, repent. Your morality and your self-righteousness is keeping you from a relationship with God. Your perceived goodnesses are nothing more than filthy rags. All the things you've done in your life to try and be somebody, you need to change that thinking. And I'm telling you, there's only one way. His name is Jesus. And if you don't let go of yourself and embrace Jesus, you will never be right with God. And so he says this to that very moral group of people, repent. Repentance is to change your mind. It is to turn. And he was urging them to turn from their sense of self-righteousness, their perceived goodness, to embrace solely Jesus with their lives. Now, repentance is simply this. It is a change of mind that leads to a change of attitude and a change of action. So, when he says, repent and be baptized, he's not saying baptism is essential for you to be saved. He's not saying that. What he's saying is this, I want you to repent. Turn from your self-righteousness. Embrace Jesus. At that moment, you become a living child of God. That transforms the way you think, and now you're willing to do whatever Jesus wants. And Jesus said, I want you to be baptized publicly so that everybody will know that you're mine. See, baptism is not an addition, uh, an added work to be right with God. It is not. It is what's called the fruit of repentance. It's what's called simply a faith not plus works, but a faith that simply is alive and is at work. And the result is, Jesus, you want me to stand on my head? Okay, I'll stand on my head. Jesus, you want me to, you want me to do an Irish jig? I won't. But you want me to do an Irish jig? I will. No, I want you to be baptized. Okay, I'm all in. Baptism doesn't save anyone. It's merely a fruit of repentance. It's merely an evidence of a transformed heart that Christ did when you repented. Does that make sense? We are blessed today to have a baptism. And uh, I'm going to invite Doug, uh, Doug Dixon, to come on up. Doug is going to share his testimony. I want you to listen carefully. Uh, He and I have been working together through a study called That Man Called Jesus. We've been talking a lot about who Jesus is. We've been going over the gospel message for clarity's sake, that it's all of God and not of us. And uh, in that process, something spectacular happened in your life. Hello, everyone. Um, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know, they're scary looking, a aren't they? A lot more people this time around. <laughs> but, um, I grew up in a Christian household with, um, practicing Catholic parents, and, uh, was baptized as an infant, and went through Sunday school, and went through confirmation, and during that time, what I was being taught never really sunk in, or I didn't take it seriously. I didn't understand the, um the gravity of what Jesus did for us. And um, I just knew what he was, I knew he was important, but I just didn't know what for. 
Um, I guess to better put it was to say I uh, knew of Jesus, but I didn't love Jesus. So that all changed when I met my beautiful wife, Courtney, a couple years ago. Amen. And um, I said she's a beautiful, nice, quiet girl with a smile that brightened up her room. Um, we met at a mutual friend's house, and we talked all night and connected pretty well. Pretty well but um, to be honest, I kind of saw her as like a goody two-shoes Bible girl, didn't really think uh, we would connect because of my, uh, my, other, my, life, my lifestyle choices. I wasn't really right. on that track. Um, but something was different about her that made me want to pursue her, and I'm really glad I did. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, I could say endless things about her, but I'd say the greatest thing she's done is lead me to Jesus Christ. And, um, Amen. Letting Jesus into my life was very difficult, like it may be for most people. Like, I remember telling Courtney in a car, like, I'm never going to be one of them, as we are sitting here together now, or, <laughs> or a Jesus freak. But um, she hung with me, and I kept coming to church and stuff. And I couldn't stop running away from the truth that pastor preaches week in and week out. I mean, you just can't deny it. So... One of the days we were leaving here from church, I was getting in the car, and I just started breaking down because I couldn't, I just couldn't take, it was hard to let go because I'd always have to have a tight control on my life and control everything that came in and out of it and stuff, so, and then, um, it's like saying, so as far, so I've been making steps in my life to follow Christ, I've learned quite a bit about our wonderful Lord Jesus, but mainly my favorite thing about him is his grace that he's freely given us, a gift so great that it's really unthinkable, and it's like the fact that he died for me while I was and still am a sinner makes me feel very loved, Mm -hmm. and then um, by following Jesus within my life, it's changing tremendously with each day and each conflict or problem that may arise. The biggest way Jesus has affected my life is in my home and in my marriage, and is teachings of selflessness and love. With Jesus as an example and leader in my life, I'm inspired to be the best husband and father I can be, which at times, like most of us know, can be very challenging. But amidst the troubles that life may bring, Jesus stays true, and I can always trust him to get things done when I need him the most. And so two or three years ago, if you told me I'd be up here on stage telling you guys I'm going to be getting baptized and changing for the better, I'd say not a chance. No way. No way. But um, through God, all things are possible, and Amen. especially a change of heart, which is huge. And I'm so ready to get baptized and show my affection for our Lord and Savior. Amen. And that's it. Amen. Go on back, man. Go right that way. I love the way he wrote that. Uh, we did six weeks of That Man Called Jesus together. I told him part of baptism is, is writing your testimony. He was scared to death by the thought. But that's his rough draft. I never, I never prompted or changed a thing. Everything he said was straight from his heart as the Lord changed his heart. Did you capture that moment, though, for him? That moment was when the truth is he was walking out to his car, and he got into the car one day, and he was wrestling over holding on to the control of his life. And in that moment, as he sat there, something began to happen. And it was painful. He wept. It's hard to die to yourself. 
it is hard to let go of the control of my own goodness, my own righteousness, my own standing, my sin. It's hard to let go of all of that. But when you do, in the midst of that pain and that grief, there comes incredible relief as you understand that Jesus has done it all and all to him I owe. So Doug became my brother in Jesus that day in the parking lot. That's when he became a child of God. So what he's doing today is merely the fruits of his repentance we're seeing. What he's doing today is merely a faith that is now alive and at work in him, showing it. Baptism doesn't save anyone. Jesus does. But when you meet Jesus, he does something pretty profound in you. He makes you love him. And now you will do anything for him. Friends, that's the gospel. The good news that God has done everything necessary for you to be in a right standing with him. All through Jesus, you do nothing but let go of your life in repentance and turn in faith and embrace Jesus. You are now a child of God. But I just want to say this, and I'm going to give him a few moments to get back there to get changed. I just want to say this. Repentance and faith is how a person becomes part of God's family. And we just saw that testimony, a beautiful explanation of, of what I'm talking about here. But I also want to say this. Repentance and faith is a spiritual operation of God in our hearts. Because it does go on to say this in Peter's statement. And you read this part. Verse 39. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off. Hallelujah. Notice. Everyone whom the Lord our God, what? Calls to himself. You see, we don't do this naturally. It is supernatural when somebody dies to themselves. None of us do that of our own free will. It is something that God does in us. You know, the Bible says that repentance is actually a gift of God's grace. It also says that faith is a gift of God's grace. So when you see repentance and faith happen, we can't even take credit for that. That's a gift from God too. Because we are dead in our trespasses and in our sins. And if we're dead, when was the last time you saw a dead man be responsive to anything? We can't be. It also says very clearly uh, in the scriptures, not only are we dead in our trespasses and in our sins, but it also says that Satan is actively blinding our eyes to the glorious gospel. Jesus said, no one comes to me unless the Father draws them to him. And he says, and all the Father gives me, I will no wise cast out. But God has to do the work. None of us can take credit for this. It's all of God. The message, the beauty, the act, as well as even repentance and faith is from God. Let me put it like this, and we'll take just another moment or two, and then I'll, I'll give these guys the go. But let me put it like this. In John chapter 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And then Nicodemus couldn't grasp what that even meant. And then Jesus said this. He likened the operation of being born again to the Holy Spirit. 
who, like the wind, blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You see, we can all sit there and say, yeah, it makes sense to me. Seems reasonable. Seems logical. The only problem with that is, that's not new birth. That's just our own good idea. But think of it a bit like this. Let's say, uh, let's see. We kind of have a group of people here, and so we have a whole group of people here, and a lot of you just sitting there thinking, that's a pretty nasty-looking mess you got there, Pastor Bill. It just doesn't make much sense to me. But all of a sudden, for somebody sitting here in the midst of everybody, the Spirit of God blows. That one is now like, oh my gosh, that was for me. This, 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 is, this is about me. This is for me. You see, the rest of us can all sit there and say, no, it's a good idea. That's cool, Pastor Bill. I'm glad to hear you explain it like that. But the Spirit of God touches somebody deeply, and they're like, oh, my gosh, he's talking right to me. And I can walk back, and the Spirit of God blows where he wants and does what he wishes. But out of a, out of a group of people, he can just come along, and he can just touch one, and the rest aren't. What is that, God? So I don't know what's going on in your heart and life today. Maybe you're sitting back here saying, I can't even see that from where I'm sitting, Pastor Bill. <laughs> Maybe you're sitting there saying, oh, I've heard this a thousand times. Maybe you're thinking, what does that have to do with me? But every once in a while, there's somebody. The Spirit of God. That's it, man. You felt it, didn't you? Woof. The Holy Spirit blows by you. And he now says, this message is for you. Repent. Let go of your life. Let go of yourself. Let go of your sin. And if you will just turn and embrace him, I will give you the gift of eternal life. This is a spiritual reality that happens by the work of God. So I'm going to end our time this morning by simply offering an opportunity for those that the Spirit of God has blown on to use this moment to say, as painful as this is, I let go of myself and I turn and embrace Jesus Christ by faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the work you did in Doug's heart and life. Thank you for the reality of his faith and the wrestling he had to go through to let go of himself, to let go of control. But when he did, in that moment, by your grace, he became born again. He became a child of the living God. He became an eternal member of the faith family. You do this. Praise your name. Thank you for the wonderful truth that Jesus Christ has done everything necessary for me to be in a right relationship with you. All I got to do is let go of myself. And right now, by faith, 
wrap the arms of my heart around him. Father, right now, I pray as the Spirit of God blows in our midst, as you touch hearts, making this real to each one, that in this moment they will let go of themselves. And in this moment they will say to Jesus, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, help me to understand this and to grow in this moment. I just want to say thank you so much. All for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If today was your glad day to say, it's no longer about me, my self-righteousness, or my sin, but it's about Jesus. Oh my gosh, find me. Talk to me, because I want to see the fruits of your repentance.